Welcome, welcome on back into the QC Hornets Nest, a podcast powered by the Charlotte Observer. I'm your host and resident beat writer, Rod Boone. This is your place to get all the latest buzz, news, and nuggets on the Charlotte Hornets. I'll be telling you stories other shows won't and giving you inside access other shows can't. This week, I'm joined by Kai Jones. We discuss the growth in the second season, that trademark blue hair of his, the life of a 21-year-old in the NBA, his favorite dunk of his short pro career, and more. So are you ready? Okay, let's go. Let's get it. Well, it's been Struggleville, USA, once again for the Hornets over the last week. Even though they've been in, in some really close games and essentially have been right there at the end, it's still much of the same for them. And they've lost 14 of their last 18 games going into this weekend's action, beginning with their matchup against the Knicks, which unfortunately for them, it sounds like once again that they won't have their all-star point guard available. So at minimum, the earliest you're going to see him is later on in the weekend, if not sometime next week. Um, but either way, the Hornets have to find some kind of um, infusion of energy or something to kind of push them in the right direction here because right now they're one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. They're only a game or so out of last place ahead of the Pistons, who they play next week, and also the um, Orlando Magic, who have, of course, are already beaten them once. So the season is going in the wrong direction for them. And if they can't find some semblance of a, a identity and structure soon, it could be a lost season before we get to Christmas, which to me is even crazy to even think about things that way because this team coming into this season – was supposed to be at least a team that can contend for a playoff spot. Let's be honest. That was kind of the edict. If you look at getting rid of James Borrego and bringing in Steve Clifford and figuring out that you're a coach or so away from getting to that next level, well, we know the roster's not the same per se because they're not, they don't have Miles Bridges around, but still, um, this team has not been getting it done so far, and it's been a lot of the same issues. It's been bad defensive efforts and points in the paint. It's been getting out-rebounded. Um, as we know, they're having problems scoring. They're, you know, the league's worst scoring team, um, you know, coming into the weekend, uh, you know, below 110 points. It's just not much is going right for the Hornets and they have to be able to change things ASAP somehow. Um, obviously it, personnel is what it is. So you're not going to be able to kind of, you know, blow the team up. That's not what it's about right now. It's about finding ways to correct the issues that you've seen with the personnel you have available right now. Because if you do not, oh boy. I mean, the schedule, as we'll talk about a little bit later, 
it's about to really thicken up for the Hornets after this next week and change when they have three of the next four games at home. After that, as we'll talk about later, they have this really long trip. So it's imperative for the Hornets to kind of get it together right now. I know I feel like something we've been saying every week, but it's getting late early as Mason Plumlee um, put it to me last week when I asked him about one of the Hornets' most recent losses. And he mentioned how Steve Clifford had told him after the game that, yeah, they got plenty of time. You know, they still are within less than a handful of games behind the 10th place spot for that playing tournament minimum um, potential. But if they don't turn around ASAP, you can forget about all this playoff talk and stuff like that before we even get to the, you know, the all-star break. Because to have to climb out of a hole that's already double-digit losses below 500 with a rough schedule still forthcoming against teams that you don't really match up well against in environments that you haven't also done well in, if you're the Hornets, it's danger time right now. So we'll see how it shakes out over the next week. Again, because they have some some winnable games coming up. But if they don't get healthy and can't get LaMelo ball back to kind of give them a little bit of an infusion of energy, it's going to be a really, really difficult proposition for the Hornets moving forward. All right, back by popular demand. Okay, just kidding. We just missed it for just one week last week. Um, back by popular demand is the mailbag. And this week we have some good questions as usual. You guys really um, were thinking this week with your thinking caps to bring me some something to kind of give you a little bit of insight into where the team is heading and what they're thinking. And we did that with a mailbag, but we're going to do a little bit more here with some other questions. So the first comes from at Hornets win 704 on Twitter. And the question is, what's the direction of the front office this season rebuild or win? I'll tell you categorically it's to win as much as some fans out there may not like to hear that because they want to do the whole let's tank for Wimbanyama thing. Steve Clifford did not come to the Hornets to be a babysitter and to be part of a rebuild. Uh, people keep forgetting that that's one of the reasons why he didn't um, stay in Orlando. He kind of mutually decided to part ways because he didn't want to have to build it from the ground up and coming to the Hornets he saw a team that was on the cusp of getting to the playoffs and thought that maybe um, he can be that missing ingredient to kind of get them over the hump. But the team has been banged up, as we know. I mean, anybody's paid attention to the Hornets know they've been injured since the preseason began. So with that being the case, the Hornets haven't had a real chance to kind of just see what they have and how they can maybe move forward and what pieces work and what pieces don't work. So, they absolutely are trying to win right now. They're not trying trying to rebuild this thing. That could change another month or two, you know, depending on how, um, you know, the schedule goes and how many wins they pick up over the next, 
you know, uh, maybe six weeks or so here going to the trade deadline in, in February. But the Hornets are definitely not in rebuild mode. They are trying to win. And when they get healthy, we'll see exactly, again, what kind of team they can be because they still think that even despite all they've been going through, that they're only less than a handful of games behind a seventh place spot, excuse me, a 10th place spot in the Eastern Conference. That gives them a lot of um, incentive to kind of go out there and, and still play hard and still think they can do something this year. So for those people who think they're going to just sit out there and just start tanking, this is a rebuild season right now, that's not happening. Again, it could change, but right now the Hornets are trying to win for sure. So thanks, Hornets. Win 704 on Twitter for that question. I appreciate that. And the other question comes from at Hip Hop Gods on Twitter. And the question is, at this point, should Melo be a non-tradable piece of the team? And the answer to that is absolutely he should be a non-tradable piece. The Hornets have been essentially begging for somebody like Lamelo to kind of come here and be a part of this franchise. And they lucked up in being able to draft him because as we've seen, when they go out there and get free agents, they have to overpay for him to get them to come here, a la Gordon Haywood. So um, with that being the case, having LaMelo Ball to build around for at least the next three to four years give you something to not only be excited about, but he's a very marketable commodity. And that's the name of the game sometime in the NBA. It's not just about on the court. It's about business in the bottom line. So LaMelo obviously helps that. So the Hornets definitely should not trade LaMelo Ball. He's definitely not tradable piece. To get rid of him, uh, fans would be in a mutiny. So he's not going anywhere barring something crazy happens. So I can understand that, that, you know, you thinking maybe, hey, you get back a lot for him, but you're not going to be able to get that same value back in terms of what he brings to your franchise in a small market because the excitement levels that you see just going to a different um, arenas around the country and see LaMelo Ball jerseys tells you right there you have somebody special in LaMelo. So he should not be going anywhere. The Hornets not even thinking about trading him. So thanks for the question at Hip Hop Gods on Twitter. And thank you guys very much once again for your interaction. I enjoy this part of the pod. It's one of my favorite um, things to do. So thank you very much. All right. So coming up now, I had a chance to speak to Kai Jones going into the weekend's action. And as you guys know, he's been doing very well of late in terms of contributing off the bench and being a spark, just a little bit of a different look for the team under Steve Clifford. And, you know, last year, um, even earlier this year, most of his minutes came in garbage time for him, for him to get meaningful minutes now and be a part of what the Hornets are doing this season. Um, it's kind of interesting to kind of see. So I want to get his take and pick his brain on where he was at with everything and, Here's a conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, cool. Well, I'm joined by Kai Jones. Kai, thanks for joining me this week, man. I appreciate it. First, the hard questions, man. The blue hair. Like, mm -hmm. tell me about the blue hair, man. Why, why, why? What's up with that? Oh, I mean, it came from last year. I decided to do it because of the Bahamas, like the water there. And then the Hornets, like, I thought the colors matched too. And then um, I'm a big anime guy. I think I talked about it early. Um, I love... Um, Dragon Ball Z, so Goku, like when he powers up, that's his hair. <laughs> yeah. What are the teammates? What do the guys say about your hair, man? Uh, they they rock with it. I mean, when I first came in with it, they're like, "Damn, this is Kai really went dyed his hair blue." Like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. No, no, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, nah, yeah, that was their reaction. They were like, "Whoa," but I mean, it was cool. 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of just shows also your personality, right? What about that? And just how much do you just enjoy life, man? It seems like yeah. you're the kind of person who just really enjoys just, just being being alive. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I love life. I love waking up every day doing what I love. Get to work out, play basketball. So it's fun. I was going to ask about that. What's it like to be a 21-year-old, man, playing in the NBA? Like, like how does it feel mm-hmm. to be able to not only realize your dream, but be so young and just have, do something that other people aspire to yeah. do? I mean, for me, I was working on it my whole life. Like, when I was young, I always thought about being in the NBA, and it seemed so far-fetched at first. But every year of my life, like, thank God he just brought me closer to it, like, you know, because he knew it was in my heart. So he helped me reach it without me even knowing. Mm-hmm. So... That was really dope of God, and I'm glad that I continued to work hard and trusted him. I was always taught to trust God at a young age, so I think that's the reason why I'm here today, honestly. But, yeah, it's amazing. I love it. What's it been like to come into an organization um, that essentially wanted you from the get-go and for them to kind of embrace you and kind of make sure that they give you whatever they can to succeed, um, Mm -hmm. help you kind of moving forward? I mean, it's a major blessing. I'm really grateful for it. Um, the organization's been great. The coaching staff's been great. Like, the development's really good here, too. We work on things every day that I'm going to use in the game, so that's dope, too. And then having 24 access, 24-hour twenty-four access to the gym is perfect for me. So get my extra work in, and then, you know, it's great. I love it here. And you mentioned getting your work in, man. How has that helped you? How has that contributed to your growth? Because obviously mm-hmm. you're getting playing time now. How is your work off the court? Um, putting your position to be where you are right now, getting meaningful minutes. Yeah, I mean, the growth off the court comes from learning the playbook too, like studying and like reading and really like understanding the coverages and understanding the game at a higher level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from being in the gym, that gives me confidence when I get out on the floor. So like, I just know, you know, I just feel better because I just work on it so much. So continuing to nurture that muscle memory, stuff like that. Um, learning my body is important too because I'm growing, adding weight. So getting in the gym, getting to know me better, like getting deeper in tune with myself, it helps a lot. Well, what's been what's been the hardest thing trying to adjust to be a pro? Is it like to learn your body? Is it is it the preparation? What what would you say has been the toughest thing that you didn't think would be a difficult coming in? I think one of the challenges is just all the like the brain capacity that you have to have because you have to know a lot of things and remember mm-hmm. a lot like coverages, mm-hmm. defensive end, like where to be, how to stand, like and it's really it's a lot of details. Um, so you gotta have to focus on that and then focus on your individual game as well because that's something I'm constantly like making sure I'm on top of and like going through in my brain. So and then knowing the coverages and the plays, but you just have to be really focused. You can't have much going on outside of this. Like for me, I have a quiet life outside of this. I got some family, some not many friends, but like just like family and just really this. So because it's so much, so I just have to, you know, stay locked in and focused. And you mentioned that I think the average person thinks that when you're a young player, you get drafted, they can just throw you out there right away and let you kind of mm-hmm. learn. I guess that can be a good thing, but it, sometimes it can be better to kind of learn from the side so that when you're out there, you're not doing headlights, so to speak, out there. Right. I mean, like just getting eased into it is for me, and then. The, the good thing about coaches, <coughs> he prepared me mentally because <clears throat> the coaching staff here is really big on efficiency. So they just let you know, like, going in, like, you got to go in and, you know, just be locked in and be make a difference on the floor and impact winning. And there's so many different ways you can do that. So it's kind of like a blueprint they have to give you. Like, you're right. They can't just throw you in. Mm-hmm. They kind of have to give you a blueprint. All right, bro, this is how you got to play. You got to do this right. You have to make sure you're doing this. And it's different things than in college. Like in college, it was it was a lot simpler. Our offense was simpler. Our defense was simpler because, you know, at Texas, we used to like just really switch one through five. Mm-hmm. Wasn't really many coverages with the four-man because we just 
we were kind of big at all positions. And then um, if we did switch on to a big man, they would just um, front the post and we would just rely on the back. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's not a lot of like, oh, we're showing, we're going to be like this. Or the, so, I mean, the scouts are different, but um, yeah, like I said, it's a lot more. But the coaching staff does a good job preparing you because you have to kind of like look to them because they know what it takes. And then uh, older vets too, that's why I talk to my vets. I do talk to Cody, I talk to Kelly. So they they kind of got guide you and the PJ like in shooting rounds they'll tell you so it's just a lot of stuff that you have to make sure you're on top of on both ends. You mentioned the coverages. I mean, coaches mention a lot about pick and roll stuff and how much different it is in, in pros compared to the NBA. For the average fan who thinks that, again, they can just throw you guys out there, you should know what you're doing. Can you explain the difference in pick and roll defense at this level compared to college and just how difficult mm-hmm. it is to pick it up, I guess, uh, for you guys a little I bit? I mean, the, the biggest thing about pick and roll defense here is that, like, at the four, man, sometimes you're in a coverage and you have to know because different people have different coverages, right? Mm-hmm. And then also because the NBA the players are more versatile, sometimes the guy that I'm guarding is getting screened too. So, like, in college, I didn't really have to worry about guarding the ball screen and having to, like, get over a screen. But here you got to get be able to get over screens and you got to, like, there's different off-ball responsibilities mm-hmm. when you're in the pick-and-roll coverages too. So, what, learning that, and like, I mean, college we had some of that too. So, like, with Shaka, sometimes when we would blitz, we would have a triangle after the blitz. So, like, here it's kind of like that too when we – so if we blitz tonight, like, I have to go down and be low and it makes, like, a triangle. And then we have a spread pick-and-roll coverage – where I gotta be um, at the elbow, and then um, it's a lot. And then flat, you go to the ball. It's it's a lot of little little details that matter. Um, it's more complex than people would think. But you just gotta pay attention in the shoot arounds and get the reps. Like last year, I didn't really get a lot of reps in shoot arounds. Mm-hmm. So like now, I get reps and like kind of get to learn. And so it's good for me. And then you mentioned the shoot around thing. I mean, your shot specifically. Your three-point shot, I tell you, worked on that a little bit to, yes, to make sure that you are a versatile player. What about that? How does that help open up your game when you can hit an outside three-pointer um, and not just be an inside player? For sure. I feel like it helps the team just spacing the floor. Like, if other teams know you're shooting it, they like it gives more space to, like, Kelly and T-Row to drive, too. So, for me, it's just for the other team. I'm still, like, a rim-oriented player in my mind. Like, I'm trying to get downhill. But if it's a wide-open one, I just want to take and make the right shot for the team. So, to me, if it's wide open, that means that the lane is clogged and I got to kind of open it up. So that's how I think when I'm playing. Now, uh, you also know as a dunker, man. What would yeah. you say is your favorite dunk that you have so far as a pro? Can, can you pick one out? In a game? Yeah, in a game. Uh, I'll say the reverse windmill in transition. Yeah, that was tough to me. That's probably <laughs> my best one so like, far. Is that something you thought about when you were doing it or just kind of say, you know what, you kind of just yeah. going to the basket and you just kind of impulsively just do it? I mean, I, I kind of manifested that before the game. But it's a good thing, though, manifesting a breakaway for the team. That means we're getting steals. I was like, my coach was like, uh, performing, like player development coach. Mm-hmm. He was like, if you get on the break today, show me something. <laughs> I was like, bad. I'm not going to back down from the challenge. I was like, I know I got something consistent in the back. Like, he the dunk. So it, it just was depending on what side I was on. Since I was on that side, I did that dunk. And just uh, last thing, tell me what about that? I mean, we, we talk about dunks and all thing, but I'm sure you want to be more you know as more of just an all around player, right? What about that? And not just being a high flyer, but mm-hmm. you want to be an overall versatile player that people yes, have to be able to guard each night and say right. he's a tough guard no matter you know where he's on the floor, basically. Right. That's for me. That's the most important thing. Uh, just being a Swiss Army knife on the floor, and like. To me, I, I want to have an all-around impact on the game, like defensively and offensively. Mm-hmm. So just being able to score wherever um, the ball finds me, like on the floor, and then 
whenever on the defensive end, like I'm really locked in and like teams know like when Kai's in, they play better D. So like I'm talking. So for me, just really want to lock in on improving my communication tonight when I'm running in transition, being where I'm supposed to be on all the um, pick and roll coverages and just having a high motor and moving around, rebound the ball box out. Yes, sir. And then last thing is, I know uh, with Melo, he's been injured for you guys this year, but just to be in player on the team with him, be a part of his core, what's it like for you guys to know that you could be something special you know, moving forward here, man? I mean, God's blessed Melo with a lot of talent, um, and he loves to play basketball, so he's really enthusiastic about it and has a um, real competitive nature. So I feel like that's good for us. Like, you always need a competitor on your team, you know, a guy who's about winning. So that's one of the good things about playing with him. I know you're a busy guy, man. So thanks for some time, Kai. I appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation I had with Kai Jones. As you can see, he's a very, very vibrant personality, and he has a lot of energy. And you can see he's a sponge and wants to learn to be better. So if he can just continue his progression, the Hornets may have found something in their first-round pick. So once again, thanks to Kai Jones for joining me. All right. So now, if you look ahead, the Hornets have a stretch here where they – Played three of the next four games at home before they go on this long West Coast trip that kind of wraps around Christmas. So it begins on Friday night with the Knicks at home. The Knicks have been one of those teams that have been struggling, bouncing up and down. Um, they're 10th in the Eastern Conference. Um, so they're one of those teams the Hornets, you know, can go out there and 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 beat, especially if they can get you know, some healthy bodies back. So that's their first game, but then they go to Philadelphia, which, as we know, has been basically a house of horrors for them um, forever, it seems like, on Sunday for a matchup before they have a couple of days off and come back with a very winnable game against the Pistons. And then they take on the Hawks before they go on that seven-game West Coast trip, excuse me, six-game West Coast trip. Um, again, it wraps around Christmas. So the Hornets of these next four games have really – two to three of them that are winnable because if you think about it, remember they beat the Hawks in Atlanta, even when they were, you know, banged up and they didn't have um, LaMelo ball um, going back then. So, and even Terry Rozier, cause remember Terry Rozier got hurt um, in the home opener. So it just shows you that the Hornets can beat the Hawks full strength and not full strength. So to me, that means three next four games here are winnable. Um, the game against, the Sixers, you know, they'll probably get pounded inside because, as we know, that's been one of the issues. So if, if the Hornets can't get at least two of the next four games um, and maybe even three of the next four, then it's going to be a really, really big hole they're going to be putting themselves in because that West Coast trip with games in Denver, Sacramento, L.A., uh, Portland, and Golden State, San Francisco, um, those just – it's going to be hard to come out of that road trip. And, and feel good about yourselves and feel like you have a chance to get a 500 record. So the Hornets don't get these next couple of games here. It could be a really very long season moving forward. In this week's random stat, it's one of those things that sometimes when you see something, you have to kind of do a double take to make sure it really is what it is. And this is one of those stats to me when I saw it. It just shows you, I guess, a little bit of the Hornets' futility and just how tough things have been for them over the past, you know, 15, 16 years. So Kelly Oubre and Terry Rozier going into this weekend's action with a game against the Knicks have each scored at least 20 points in the last six games. It's the first time since 2007 that the Hornets have had two players having concurrent 20-point or more per game streaks 
of at least six games. So to break it down layman terms, it's been essentially 15 to 16 years since the Hornets have had two players who have at least scored 20 or more points together, not combined, excuse me, individually through six games or more. That's a long period of time, folks. So it just shows you that the Hornets may have a player so I can go out there and get them buckets, but they haven't had people do it consistently for them. So if they can just get some of their players back, this is why I guess in some regards, it just kind of shows you the offensive firepower this team has. But then we know it's going to be more about defense, though. But just that's that to me when I saw it. It's kind of mind-boggling because, you know, you figure at least some point you're going to have a team that get hot and have some guys have some stretches where they score at least 20 or more points, um, you know, and, and be at least more than one person on the team doing that. But for the Hornets not to have somebody as a duo do that since 2007 when it was Jason Richardson and G-Dub, Gerald Wallace, I mean, those names – or names that a lot of Bobcats fans, you know, obviously know about because they were the Bobcats back then. But, man, I mean, Jay, Jason Richardson and Gerald Wilds are the last two players in the franchise history to have at least 20-point-per-game streaks combined through six games. So I just showed you, once again, the Hornets' futility and just how crazy things have been for them. But it also shows you just how well Kelly Oubre and – Terry Rozier going out there and just filled it up to last half dozen plus games. And the Hornets have needed it because without that production, they wouldn't be in any of these games. So you got to give your hats off to those guys for doing their thing. And we'll see if they can keep it, um, you know, moving going forward here. Well, so there you have it. Many, many thanks to my guest, Kai Jones. And thank you so very much for joining me for the latest ep of the QC Hornets Nest. I'm Rod Boone. For more Hornets content, check out StrellaObserver.com. And for special offer to gain full access, click the link in my stories where it says support my work with a digital subscription. All right. Until next time, we out.